Academy Award nominee for Best Visual Effects, Godzilla Minus One is an epic, entertaining blockbuster with a tender love story at its core, says the Washington Post. Winner of eight International Best Visual Effects Awards and nominated for 12 Japan Academy Film Prizes, Godzilla Minus One is the third highest grossing foreign language film in the United States of all time. Certified fresh at 98% on Rotten Tomatoes, Forbes says Godzilla Minus One is one of 2023's greatest films. Academy Award nominee, Best Visual Effects, Godzilla Minus One from Toho International. Uh, to those just tuning in to this first scrappy pilot episode of The Outside Scoop, now in podcast form, I'll think of something more clever once we're picked up by the network. Uh, my name is Scott Mendelson. I write for Puck News on a weekly basis, and I manage my own site, The uh, The Outside Scoop. And the idea of this was rather than just doing a podcast where it's just me and maybe a host bloviating about box office stuff for 40 minutes, I want to invite three other people that are also very knowledgeable and intelligent and thoughtful and also younger and cooler than me to talk about box office uh what do you uh my name is lisa layman pronouns are she her um i write for a medley of websites like collider uh and looper uh and i love box office love movies and i'm very grateful to be here uh, hey, I'm Ryan Scott. Uh, I You probably have seen my stuff on SlashFilm.com, if you are at all familiar with what I do. also write very regularly uh, for the folks at Fangoria. Uh, and uh, I am uh, sort of known uh, to the small corner of the internet that we all exist in as one of us box office people. Uh, so yeah, that's my jam. I'm Jeremy Fooster. I cover box office and labor at The Wrap. Hopefully, I won't be covering more strikes in the months ahead. We will see. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, what, 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 you're the expert here. What are the chances of uh, another one this summer? I think low for the most part, but we'll have to see with the Animation Guild because the Animation Guild are very, very, very irritated and very well organized. But they're a long way off, so I I can't really say for sure at this stage. Um, I assume anyone listening to this or watching this has some vague idea of what happened over the weekend. Let me just do a quick rundown, uh, courtesy of the numbers, otherwise known as the site we all went to when Box Office Mozdo slashed its own throat four and a half years ago. <laughs> Late capitalism is working. It's so good. It's never been better. <laughs> oh. This entire podcast will be AI in six months. Yeah, right. <laughs> uh, Argyle was the top grossing film by default, earning $18 million in a Friday to Sunday debut. Uh, it's an Apple original. I, I don't think it cost $200 million to produce, but $200 million was paid out by Apple to the producers for the package, I think, in like mid-2021. So, two hundred million was spent, and and I could joke about how little that money ended up on the screen. But I will say, by default, there is more money on the screen than something like Red Notice or Ghosted. So maybe only maybe half the money went to the budget production this time. Yeah. Um, it, with Argyle, this whole Apple experiment has just been the most opaque thing to analyze because. 
Apple does not disclose their streaming numbers anymore. They did until I think around 2022, and now they've stopped. So we're going to have no idea how much of a bump in their numbers Killers of the Fire Moon and Napoleon's director's cut gave them. It's like we, we, we've assumed that, okay, they'll take it off the back that they didn't make 200 million worldwide on Killers of the Flower Moon. But if the Oscar interest and the fact that probably some people who want to see the movie but don't want to spend three and a half hours in a theater, maybe that all builds up to a noticeable increase. But now we don't know. And I think the scrutiny only increases when you've got a film like Argyle, a film that's ostensibly supposed to be more of a crowd pleaser than Killers of the Flower Moon, making far, far less and looking like it's going to die a very quick death theatrically. It does make me wonder just how much farther is Apple going to go? They're clearly not going to be like any other legacy studio. I've had one major legacy studio executive tell me if we put out Killers of the Fire Moon in theaters and got those numbers, I'd be fired. And yeah, but Apple plays with the, you know, with the Silicon Valley FU money. It's a rounding error for them to spend $200 million on a movie like this. But how long does that largesse last? It's great for everybody as long as they do it, but I don't know. You have to compare it to the Netflix model, right? Which is what everybody based this off of for so long, where they're spending $200 million on Red Notice and getting not a dime back other than hoping that they're keeping their subscribers happy enough. And so here, I like my assumption and my guess, because we don't know, right? We have no idea what success means to them, is that like if Killers of the Flower Moon got to around 200 million worldwide, which it didn't quite, like it, I assumed that would make them happy. Like you maybe make about half of that budget back, give or take from ticket sale money. It's a way to sort of both recoup a little bit of money and generate interest. Plus they did a VOD release, which is smart. So you're going to make some money that way. And then eventually it goes to Apple TV plus. And the thing that I've said too, is if you look at, okay, Netflix got nominated for best picture for Maestro killers of the flower moon got nominated for best picture. You want to tell me which one is a better shot at winning. So I'm not saying that the theatrical release is, you know, I, I, but I, but I, it does for a company like Apple, that there is uh, this weird value matrix to it. But it is interesting that like 200 million, a lot of that was paid out probably just to the actors and the talent before they knew this was going to have a full blown theatrical release. So I'm fascinated by this whole release model and I kind of hope it continues because it makes a lot more sense than what Netflix is doing to me. But I mean, 18 million on on that investment. I do think there's a case to be made that the reception of this film means that in order for this to work for even for you know Amazon and, and Apple, that's really what we're talking about right now. As far as I know, Hulu isn't making $200 million prestige pictures. Um, Netflix is getting out. Netflix is going to be not entirely, but largely getting out of that game now that Scott yes. Stuber is leading oh, yeah. the film. Oh, yeah. They probably won't be making much movies that are like beyond Oscar stuff, I'd imagine, in the next two yeah, years. They, they'll them. probably do one or two Oscar contenders because Ted Sarandos wants to chase that brass ring. They can the Academy will never give it to him. They'll give him other categories, but not Best Picture. But yeah, they're they're pulling out of it just as Apple and Amazon are investing more into it. And they've got the largest of other divisions of their multi those giant conglomerates. And now you have a situation where Netflix is on the almost defensive in terms of trying to get A-level talent and prestigious filmmakers because they're the only ones that aren't offering a theatrical release. But in terms of Apple and Amazon, it's basically free money. But I think for this to work in terms of a theatrical equals prestige equals awareness, the movies have to be good. 
more so than they did at Netflix, where they basically got, hey, look, Netflix is the future because they're spending, you know, 160 million on a Ryan Reynolds, Dwayne Johnson, Gal Gadot actioner that used to be the kind of thing you see in theaters, but now you can see it at home. But I do think there is more value in them releasing. This is going to sound silly, simplistic. A good movie that loses a ton of money in theaters versus a crappy would-be franchise starter that loses a bunch of money in theaters. So I think ideally, the you know maybe H H will be like, let's not do another Red Notice. Well, okay. So first of all, just for the clarifications for listeners who might not have read any of my stuff, I am theatrical all the way. Um, I'm actually kind of annoying in terms of like. I'll tell my I'll joke with my friends at Netflix is like a fake studio. Um, I'm that <laughs> annoying jerk. Um, uh, but one thing I do find seriously fascinating about I'm with you, Lisa, is there anyone that isn't pro theatrical here? Because why would you here? <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, other okay, whatever. <laughs> I would never assume otherwise. I'd imagine so on a box office thing. But yeah, I one thing I find fascinating. Unless we part- get a monster truck sequel, then it can go on whatever streaming service will take it. Now Scott's speaking my language. Um, <laughs> But one thing I do find fascinating about the Argyle thing, although this whole debacle, is how it's one of the many things in Hollywood that's emerged in the last year that feels almost like a hangover effect from the 20 to 2021 thing, where like once the pandemic started, every company spent like obscene money. Like Netflix spent all that money on Knives Out. Universal spent all that money on Exorcist. Like everybody spent, right? Yeah, Amazon spent a lot of money on a Voltron movie that I don't think is happening just to get the rights. They didn't get any footage. They got the rights. So because everything's been so delayed because of the strikes, COVID, et cetera, we're only starting to see these projects now. The Marvels was announced like three years before it was released. It was announced before any Disney Plus shows were released in the public. Like by Similarly, Argyle was released like three years after it started shooting. The business model in 2021 was hypothetical. It was like, oh, sure, this could probably work. I don't know. Netflix, Apple had never spent money like that on a movie before. So now we're kind of seeing that come through. And I'm curious in the future, like for the rest of the year, I haven't heard budgets, but I can't imagine like the George Clooney, Brad Pitt thing that John Watts directed. I can't imagine that also costs 200 mil. It probably costs like 100, but I can't imagine just because they don't have to do like CG action stuff in it. Like, if that costs more than 100 mil, then someone should get fired. I've harped on this a ton. The budget thing is driving me insane. It, and I understand COVID drove some of that up. Like, and I understand the yeah. what, what people were trying to piece together as the streaming model drove that stuff up. But like the budgets have got to come down. I don't care if it's getting less A-list people. I do not know. I do not know the inner workings well enough. I know that they made the creator for $85 million. And I'm not saying that that movie made a ton of money, but I'm saying it looked more expensive than it was. So I'm saying it's possible. And like, I think these $200 million movies, be it streaming, being whatever, that's going to stop happening, I hope at least, because it, it has to. It's like, it, it it just has to. It just has to. And this is, it, it, this is an example of why. Someone's got to make money somehow, and you don't make money this way. That's well, it's interesting with Argyle because... Matthew Vaughn, in an interview with Variety, he swore up and down that he did not spend $200 million to make this movie. Like, Scott, like you said at the top, Apple gave his studio $200 million. You know, I, I, so if, if we take Vaughn at his word that this was not a $200 million movie, it doesn't look like a $200 million movie. Killers of the Flower Moon looks like a $200 million movie. But I feel like if that is the case, then I, I, 
then it will probably be easier if for studios to start dialing it back. I think that's something we're really going to be seeing in 2024, 2025, now that they're no longer having to take spend more on insurance, spend more on PPE yeah. for COVID stuff. And now that inflation is starting to cool off, that maybe we see a dial back. Like the Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning costs $290 million with all the COVID inflation attacks and stuff. Well, and they got like seventy five million of that back from an insurance. So luckily, that number yeah. came down. Yeah, ultimately, <laughs> compared to like I think Fallout costed one hundred fifty, hundred seventy five yeah. billion. It was yeah, yeah so, it was a little, it was like, it was pricey, but but also, and, but like, but my thing with the COVID stuff though, okay, fine, PPE, whatever. How does Indiana Jones end up three hundred million dollars? Like, I still don't similar thing. I think it was a it, it was also because he's really old. Overruns, possible <laughs> COVID delays supply chain issues uh, plus i think still, it just took longer I, I think it took there were production delays it it, it it took a lot longer than i think it was supposed to for yeah. Dial Destiny to get yeah, the ground. it was announced in 2016 well and originally sure but, but anyway, left in like very very before covid 2020 i think all of us are in agreement though this yeah. is something that is going to come down and has to and like and i think that like whatever well, how i have to there's a question of how much can it right? with with Inflation is going to put that floor up yeah. permanently to a certain degree. We just don't know how much. We don't know what a normal movie costs yet in post-pandemic. Yeah, I, I just, I, I just sort of fight against the idea that like two hundred has got to be the new floor for, you know, like a big block because that's. I just don't know at this point how many movies really survive. You know, like if that's like your floor for a blockbuster at this point, like that, I, I, I'm pretty sure Guardians of the Galaxy was the only movie that cost more than 150 million that turned a profit last year, at least like, pure, it, purely theatrically. It's going to go up, but it, it just can't. That to me just can't be the new normal. And this is a bigger conversation than Argyle, but but like that, you know that. I, I in the broad scheme of things, it almost feels like the, the film industry has never has yet to have an opportunity to readjust from what a post-2019 landscape was supposed to look like. I remember, you know, looking at, this was back when, you know, Wonder Woman 84 was come out in 2019. No Time to Die was, was come out in 2019. What's left after 2019? Because there's so right. many of these giant franchises were either coming to an end or firing off their best shots. Even before the Disney decline, no sequel is ever going to be bigger than Frozen 2. And no Pixar sequel is ever going to be bigger than Toy Story 4. And then COVID happened. Did we lose two, three years? And then the strikes happen, so you lose a year or two. Another year, yeah. I was thinking this morning, um, and I'm probably uh, I'm biased because you know it's a it's uh, as a messy bias lesbian. is good. It's true. Objectivity a, is the devil. Carry on. Uh, as a messy lesbian, I'm always thinking about bottoms. But I was thinking that bottoms is actually a good model, no joke, for like mainstream stuff. Like that was shot in COVID, and cost like twelve million, and they made like I think seventeen worldwide back. That's good. They didn't lose that much money on it theatrically, and it'll do really well on home video because that's where comedies always do very well. But that's also the benefit of a cheap movie, right? Like, no, even that theatrical release brought a lot of attention, which is the whole thing, like, with which some people don't realize. Like, you look at what IFC Midnight movies have ever made at the box office, it's nothing. But, like, ultimately, those that little theatrical release will bring more attention to the movie. And Bottoms is, to me, that working, you know, well. Especially, uh, no. Well, the thing, though, that reminded me with like Bottoms versus Argyle, which I think is the only time these two films have ever been talked about. <laughs> yet. But um, is that Bottoms looks like a movie. Argyle has movie stars, movie stars. Henry Cable is not one. But like 
Bottoms <laughs> looks like a movie. Like it looks like an actual film. Like, okay, this is a professionally shot film. You could do it's if you have 200 or 300 million dollars like Dial of Destiny, you won't look like as much like a film as Bottoms. Like I think Hollywood has to have that reckoning of like more money does not equal like not only better, but also like more polished. Like you are now a real movie studio. Like we've had this reckoning multiple times in the history of the American film industry. Like the the post sixties stuff, right? Like when we went back or uh, post forties, like we've had these kind of reckonings before. And I I think we've had good a handful of good genre films recently, like Everything Everywhere or Bottoms that are cheap and feel modern. They feel like the next step in American film industry. And Argyle is just a bloated like relic. But even if we want to move on from talking about Argyle and you want to talk about another expensive movie that does this a little better, Wonka now coming coming up on 600 million worldwide. Yeah. It looks like a Paul King movie. Like, yes, it looks very CG and it's big, but it's a $125 million movie. I was nervous when I heard that number, but I'm eating crow now. That I don't know what the season looks like now without that movie, but like, I mean, holy crap, that's, that's, yeah. all, you know, so, so that, but that's a stylistic, like it, the, the style, yes, it's big, yes, it's colorful, but it suits that movie. And, and again, that's expensive, but it's like rationally expensive. Mm -hmm. And like, like Barbie and Oppenheimer, 100 ish million dollar movies that both, look great and and have a, a stop and like expensive but not like crazily so and have a look and so it's like super possible like even on a bigger scale like of, of it's very it has to be possible with smaller movies now because that's the only way you get noticed like you've got to have style you've got to do something to stand out but you can spend blockbuster money and not have to have it be 300 million dollars and get result i'm always reminded when people talk about you know and you know because the problem is with Wonk. Sorry. Oh, I was just going to say, you know, Wonka, if that's a $200 million movie, suddenly it's a different conversation. But because yes. it's 125, it works. And that was the you frustrating know? thing about Dwayne Johnson's recent adventures is that, you know, OK, Black Adam was this giant bomb, but OK, it cost $200 million. His big hits, you know, Rampage, Jumanji, Jumanji 2, Journey 2, uh, they're, you know, even, you know, uh, Hercules. These are 80 to $120 million pictures. Yeah. Jungle Cruise cost 200. Does that look like a 200 million dollar movie? And while I think the money's more on the screen in Black Adam, and again, when we're talking about relics, you know, pre whatever, that film costing what 190 made sense in 2019 when super DC superheroes were popular and there was probably 100 and 150 guaranteed in China. In mm -hmm. sure, yeah. that, you know, three years later, it comes out in a very different world. And that's why I think a lot of the budgeting blowout is coming from where you had these films that were greenlit at say and i'm making up numbers here you know 180 million dollars and by the time you get to four years of inflation plus covid protocols you have like a 210 million dollar movie plus you're dealing with a depressed marketplace and almost nothing from china right and while china was never the great savior that we all pretended it was mm -hmm. unless you're xander cage um <laughs> he protects us yes um <laughs> It was a boost to films that, you know, were already pretty darn successful. And, and I think you you guys were correct, generically speaking. Something like The Exorcist, I'm not going to say it ever made sense, because even back then we were like, this isn't Halloween. Lord, whoever Ellen Bernstein plays, I don't know her name, but she ain't Laurie Strode. Um, yeah, I, I don't want to open up that whole conversation, but that also that's yeah. when you pot commit to that number for the reason horror always makes sense is because it's relatively cheap, even when it's expensive. And when you make it yeah. really expensive, 
like, because like you look at Blumhouse did their job on that movie. The reported budget for that first movie was like thirty million dollars. Yeah, and it still made like what? It still made what? Like one fifteen worldwide. Right. That individual movie still made sense. Like, but the problem is like that pot commitment for that deal, whatever the number is, let's say it's four hundred million dollars. You have to then make four hundred million dollars to make it. And even if you look at if you put that Halloween trilogy together and what you ended up profiting, I don't even know that. I I don't know. It's 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 so not anywhere near that. Yeah. So that that was a deal. And this is one reason I like Universal. You know, they're willing to say, oh, okay, that didn't work. Let's just stop doing that. Well, they're, they're willing to do that when they're not contractually obligated. Well, like, yeah, like you know, like, no law like, saying they have to spend more than $10 million on the next two Exorcist movies. Like, when West Side Story underperformed because Disney was stupid to release that a week before No Way Home, you put that a week after. <laughs> That's idiotic. But Bob Iger was out here saying, like, adult movies are done in theaters, right? But, like, when Ambulance flops, Universal's like, all right, we'll get them next time. They're not, they, no matter, no matter where Stray's bomb, they're not like comedies are done. They signed Judd Apatow. They're, they're, they play big picture enough to know, like, we're still making money on Scott Pilgrim and Popstar. Universal also knows that, like, as a studio, they know that, like, because one comedy failed, it doesn't mean comedy's not working. Like, and I think mm-hmm. Warner Brothers to, to, for, and I don't, you know, I know David Zaslav's not everybody's favorite guy in the world, but like, you know, they, that as studio, even under his stewardship, seems to understand, like, Yes, we're going to lean heavily into franchises, but also like you got to have more than that. And, you know, they're and look, I mean, I don't know what the state of the box office is without Warner Brothers right now. Yeah. Yes. A hundred percent. Like a dead look. I'll say David Zadzov. Yeah. David Zadzov sucks. But like but the guy is at least committed to that part of the business. And yeah. that dude is like slavishly devoted to the bottom line. So mm-hmm. like, if that guy is going like theatrical is the only, like is the only thing that makes sense, then I don't know. Maybe that's something to pay attention to. Like, but, but yeah, so I don't know. I, I, but I mean, all I can say is like, to that point is like, thank, thank Apple hey. right now for like having this, like, because uh, take that 18 million off the board this weekend. Well, like, you know, that- and that's the existential question. Should we be thanking Apple for releasing a, I would argue, terrible film that audiences don't seem to like into theaters? I mean, I used to joke, I mean, I'm really, in, you know, 2017, 2016, when the first batch of big Netflix originals came out, like Death Note and War Machine and Bright, like, not only are these movies bad, they're so bad, they almost seem like subterfuge sabotage to help theaters. It almost feels like the opposite, where it's like you release a piece of garbage like this into theaters to like make theaters look bad. Um, Every other film in the top five is in its fourth weekend or later. So I kind of feel like where theaters right now, it's a beggars can't be choosers kind of thing. But I also don't think that I don't think moviegoers get turned off of going to a movie theater because they saw a bad movie. I think they would if they had a bad theater going experience because everybody, everybody I've heard on the internet that talks about why they don't go to theaters anymore. They complain about the bad sound. They complain about having to sit behind a family whose parents, parents don't care about the kids making a ruckus. They don't the sticky seats or sticky floors or things like that. That is always the reason why I hear people stop. If it's a bad movie and they walk out thinking, God, that sucked. I mean, I think every person's had that experience, but people always come back because there's always going to be something 
really exciting, like a Barbie, like an Oppenheimer, some point down the line, maybe Dune Two in a, in a few weeks that they're going to want to go see, and they don't, and they and they don't want to wait another couple of months for streaming. Yeah, take that eighteen million off the board. This entire week generated a little less than sixty million dollars. You know, and six million of that came from the chosen season four. You know, which again, God like Angel Studios, faith-based programming. Angel Studios, <laughs> no. Look, I'm not Always. saying. Look, faith-based programming is putting meat in seats, and like again, like in a beggar's can't be chooser situation, like theaters need that badly right now. So you take that twenty-four million off the board, and things look especially bleak. So should we be like saying, "Hey, thanks Apple for the middling movie," but like, yeah, a little bit. You no, know, I, like, I do agree with you. I get uncomfortable, especially when you have a film like this that, that seems to represent everything that Hollywood was already doing wrong, true. where it's like, it feels like a ch- Curious George book where it's like, you burned down the hospital, but it's okay because you rescued a puppy. Anyway. the, uh, the I, I would also just point out about, you know, the to, to Ryan's point about um, The Chosen, you know, I, I've talked with movie theater owners in like, Texas and North Carolina, and even Biloxi, Mississippi. And they'll talk about how those Angel Studio movies become their highest grossing movies, even more than whatever movies number one that we get. So it, it, it's just another example of how it, you, you got to have that variety, you got to cater to everybody. And I think there is, you know, there is a certain degree of, yeah, I, there are people who are interested in seeing Argyle, and you, you know, it's like, what else is going to be out there right now? This isn't the first time we've had a, a January, February period where nothing's coming out. I remember back in 2019, but in January and February, there was almost nothing. I remember, I think mm-hmm. the only, it, it was just How to Train Your Dragon, The Hidden World, a couple of other Glass slightly of, underperformed in January, slightly. Yeah, Glass underperformed. Um, the upside underperformed. Compared to today's day and age, it's, you know, it now those days feel like, feel like golden years. Yeah, I would kill for the the upside right now, (laughs) looking at like what, you know, like, like, you know, that's like, man. Before that time, it felt like a really, really sluggish period. Yeah. But then March came around, April came around, things got picked up again. So I just kind of feel like, like, with with this period, like, like we've been through it before. I'm wondering, though, if, when you have these extended droughts, when you hit when you hit March, does that have a sort of rebound effect for a movie like a Dune Two or for a family film like Kung Fu Panda? Because like like I said earlier, there are you know people people are like, wow, I haven't been out to the movies in a long time. This sounds like a lot of fun, and even stuff like the goddamn Dune popcorn bucket just raises. Dune's profile in the yeah. national eye. It I'm starting to believe that Dune. Attention. I'm starting to believe that 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 500 million plus is fully within the range of, of Dune two now, which I never would have said even a week ago. I'll boldly I'll boldly say on this podcast that and I and I'll and I might look stupid in a few weeks. I think Dune two by the end of its run is closer to 600 than 500. We're talking worldwide, right? We're worldwide. That's oh, what I'm yeah, talking yeah. about. Even as someone that thinks that the first Dune did about as well as it would have done in, under normal circumstances, best case scenario is a Spider-Verse style jump where it goes from like 375 to I think 690. Um, and that would be spectacular for Dune. But, you know, the idea that people are throwing around, oh, it's a billion dollar movie, blah, blah, blah. It's like, 
absurd. Stop using a billion dollars worldwide as the generic term for this film will do well. Yeah, we got we got to take that measuring stick down <laughs> just a touch. But uh, but um, MCU Phase Three got everybody. Re- Million nineteen turned everybody. A billion in. should be the stretch goal, unless you're Avatar. Yes. A, yeah. a billion should be the stretch goal under the best of circumstances. Like, like it, it, it's not. But my problem with the budget stuff is that it seemed like stuff started getting greenlit under the onus of getting to a billion because you start doing the math and you're like, you know, I don't, you know, because some people, you know, love to argue with me on threads, argue uh, oddly enough that like, you know, Aquaman and Lost Kingdom is profitable. I'm like, you don't know how this stuff works. Like, like because... 400 million doesn't mean the studio suddenly has 150 million in the bank. That's not, yeah. you know, like it, but yeah, I don't know. Um, uh, I guess, is there anything else we want to talk about in the top 10? I guess is there anything else. Jason we want to Statham say? is breaking records 25 years later. Oh, I'll, I'll be quick on that. And then I'll jump over to Lisa. The beekeeper has now made $49.5 million in North America, which means not adjusted for inflation. It is Jason Statham's biggest solo action movie ever. Hey, good for him. The Meg. You want to talk about budgets? That movie was probably what? $40 million movie? Yeah. It's done. $40 million movie? And once it gets past 54, which it will, it will be the second biggest domestic, even adjusted for inflation, behind Transporter 2. It's at 122 worldwide, which means it's the second biggest, again, solo Jason Statham action movie. Everyone, I've quantified that. Behind uh, Mechanic Resurrection, which did 126 in 2019, including a now implausible 49 from China. And I think there's a case to be made that, silly as it is, Jason Statham is more popular now than he's been in ever. A hundred percent. Yeah. And good. You know what? Good for Jason Statham. Good for MGM for making a mid-budget action flick like that. And good for David Ayer, who finally kind of got <laughs> yes. that. Well, no, for real. Like he, he like I wrote an article about this. This is the first theatrical hit he's had since Suicide Squad. That, yeah. That's so insane. And I'm not, not like sure good. if he even wants to count that. Yeah, well, sure, but uh, but you know it's so good. So, yeah, yeah. but but again, good for like MGM. Like you, Amazon could have easily hoarded this for Prime Video, and you know, and again, you look at like the only other hits we've had this year: Mean Girls, another movie that was supposed to go to streaming, and it's close to 100 worldwide. Yeah, it is. We 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 are like we were at the razor's edge of absolute catastrophe if you take those couple of movies yes. off the because yeah. like ISS has made six. <laughs> Look, and I liked ISS. I think yeah, it I sucks too. that it, but but it but it's made six million dollars worldwide. Night Swim was not Megan, you know, like yeah. and so like you know Blumhouse tried and like so I'm I'm not blaming them and like I, Poor Things has made like sixty two million worldwide. Like that's good for an Oscar that's movie right now. Pretty close to it's on track to match the favorite, I think, which is right. And so so yeah. good, like so uh, migration probably is going to get to around two fifty. But like but again, yeah. it's like. You, you know, you needed some other stuff in here. I think some of these holdovers would have still done similar similar numbers if there was something else out there. Yes. Like I I looked at uh was it Tarot, that that uh, horror movie that Sony has coming out in the summer. Like I'm like, that movie looks done. Why didn't you put that out now? Like I you know, like I I'm my where I'm getting mad right now is that some of these movies seem to be getting held till later in the year. You know, you're you're sort of my theory. I think there may be an attempt to make the summer seem more crowded than it actually is mm. by releasing as many of the films in that, you know, May to August slot as they can, even if it's something that probably would do fine in mid January. Yeah. But yeah. there's no reason you put a good about putting crowd craven in mid January. Because I, I mean, tarot to me reeks of January I mean, horror movie. Keep in mind that craven got moved 
when the actor strike was still happening and they didn't know if the actor strike was going to be still going in mid January. So it yeah. was very oh, no, much I'm sympathetic. Um, yeah. And I, Sony hasn't been marketing Madam web very much at all. Where in the hell? And I have not seen the movie. So maybe the answer to this, is it doesn't exist. Where the hell is that second trailer? Well, that's my point. They, the they, four they, very attractive young women all wearing spider costumes, swinging around the city, kicking ass. That's my point is that we're 10 days away from that movie coming out. And I'm sure everybody saw Dakota Johnson dropped her reps, you know, after that trailer came out. Uh, it looks so bonkers stupid that I'm kind of looking forward to it. Me sure. Too. But, and if but it was I'm like just saying, like Snake Scott plane, well, yeah, yeah. If I like a snake. You can make a list at the start of every year of just of like movies that look so bonkers. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. <laughs> that just seems completely up your alley. If that's not all Madam Web has going for it. As Scott pointed out, there are also four young, attractive women in it, like beating up people. And I, for one, consider that an important genre. Having just watched Miss 45 today, like that is an important cinematic strain. I am mm. absolutely looking forward to doing my duty as a feminist ally. Sydney <laughs> Sweeney, uh, Celeste O'Connor, and I'm going to butcher this name because she changed it a couple times. Uh, Merced? The young woman from Dora Isabella and Marquette, Sicario, yeah, yeah, yeah. yes, um, do their empowering feminist duty by running around wearing private school outfits and or superhero outfits and kicking ass. But it's okay because Adam Scott's in it for my wife. Let me tell you this. I, I tell you this, though, if this is S.J. Clarkson's feature directorial debut. It, whatever, none of us are predicting this movie is going to be a big hit. I, if this gets pinned on her at the like that, <laughs> that, 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 that is. I, I like it is not fair to pin this on her. Don't give uh, her the cost of treatment. I mean, this is the well, it's a glass cliff scenario. They didn't really diversify until the theatrical industry was almost about to yeah. implode. Yeah. Uh, can we, I guess, uh, the one thing I would personally like, since I have you all here, uh, can we pour one out for Godzilla minus one? Yes. Uh, uh, ending, Which, by the way, uh, I don't want to know why that movie only cost $15 million. Well, I, I, actually I don't do want to know. I've been told it's because the way the Japanese. Uh, 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 work conditions, mm -hmm. but uh, I, I, whatever the case, uh, the, the <laughs> first the first movie I've seen in theaters three times, and I do not know how long. Uh, but yeah, a, a bunch of people I I had pointed out, I, I said that you know I made some comment that it sort of saved the box office yeah. down time, and a bunch of people were like, well, how it only made fifty seven million dollars. People don't understand how this stuff works. That fifty seven million dollars made up for a lot of lost ground where studios were expecting. And the three sold out theaters I was in, I guarantee you, were those theater owners were very happy to have that ticket revenue. Because when you deal demographically revenue. specific event movies like that, and there was a bunch of those at the end of the year: Godzilla, uh, The Boy and the Heron. Sure, yeah, um, yeah. Whatever is. Angel Studios decides to throw out, you know, demographically, demographically specific event movies are basically what's going to save the industry until Hollywood gets its its house in order. Because 100%. those are films that appeal to people that otherwise are not going to the movies. I was at the AMC Century City the Saturday Godzilla Minus One came out that first weekend of December, and there were two sold-out theaters, one for Godzilla Minus One, the other one for Beyonce Renaissance. Wings. I just think it's worth yes. highlighting how cool it is 70 years into Godzilla's oh, awesome. As a, that, that This movie, Shin Godzilla, uh, felt about as acclaimed as this movie at the time. It made $1.9 <laughs> million. <laughs> and I loved Shin Godzilla. I yeah. said that. This made $57 million. It was with almost no mainstream advertising. I did not see one TV spot. I saw a few YouTube spots. I saw this was pure, organic, 
Rev, it's so cool that this movie got there. And I just and it's 105 million worldwide, by far the most like mm-hmm. prolific Along- Toho produced Godzilla movie. I just so cool. And I just I'm I, that with that the editing. Warner I Brothers has the courage to cut a new spot for Godzilla X Kong, basically does starring Academy Award nominee Godzilla <laughs> and uh yeah. King Kong. Along with the Japanese work conditions, that it was also like they had to budget Godzilla minus one at a budget level where it would be theatrically profitable just from Japan alone. Yeah, they absolutely certainly did not expect no this movie to be the highest grossing American, uh, highest grossing non English movie in America since Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. It's worth at a time we're talking about how bad things are. How cool that I mean, like this was not a movie anyone was expecting to. Uh, it is one of the best arguments of all time for uh, Godzilla as legitimate cinema. Mm-hmm. Um, and, it's and I think it's one of the best like stories of the last little bit. So you yeah, know, a movie that was, was supposed to play in theaters for a week. I will say that the end of the year, the industry stepped up. Where mm-hmm. uh oh, Aquaman's not going to play like Aquaman. What do we do? In comes Wonka. In comes anyone but you. Everyone, anyone but you. In comes Godzilla. In comes uh, the boy in the boat. The boys in the boat. Excuse me. You know, basically, yeah, yeah. the boy in the boat is my favorite Miyazaki film. <laughs> <laughs> the boat just tells the boy, like, you're oh, yeah, We should right, mention to anyone so that's everybody not. Everybody stepped up like the ending scene of Dunkirk. The yeah, we should mention of... to anyone that's not been paying attention. The boys in the boat yeah. has, has made 50, 49.5 yeah, million oh. domestic. It is just, it is just, no it one, I have not heard a single actual saturation. person talk about this movie. And it it's might made- just be sheer saturation, but Amazon is doing something right in terms of getting people to show up to their MGM pictures in yeah. a way that they previously weren't with a few exceptions here and there. It doesn't be wonder for American fiction over the next month how it's able to do what with a film like that, it's only got a, it's only gonna play in very specific parts of the country because it you know it, it's a it's a satire on race and media that's probably not gonna play in middle America, but it does make you curious how well it forms on the coast and legs out, legs out, because Amazon has figured out a way to play to that audience the same way they were able to figure out how to play with boys in the boat. I am so relieved and excited to see some of the best picture nominees performing like they would pre-COVID. Poor things yeah. in American fiction specifically are had like 10% dips this weekend. That is a normal, like 10 days after Oscar nominations for a best picture nominee. That is a normal performance. American fiction's made 13 million already. 15. That's that's 15 really good. Now. It's probably yeah. going to get to 25. Yeah. Poor things will probably exceed the favorite. Even the holdovers. We'll now have a domestic total right on par with the kids are all right and Phantom Thread, Focus Features, other Best Picture nominees. So and, I, and I'm willing to bet the holdovers is selling like because I know it's it was sold out on Blu-ray a couple times on Amazon already. And I'm really? willing to bet those VOD numbers are awesome for that movie. So I you I know I think that's a classic example of a film over the last four years where PVOD has provided enough of a new revenue stream yeah. to justify that film existing in a theatrical ecosystem. Mm-hmm. And I've been begging for the numbers for four years. I don't, you know, I, any day now, Lionsgate and so and Universal will call me up and throw me spreadsheets. They make the amount of money Lionsgate makes on its just video library. The library that they have amassed is like where a lot of their revenue comes from. Yes. And a lot of that is just like we put out a lot of movies of varying su- shapes and sizes. 
And even if they don't make money in their original run, there's ways for us to make money off I that. I used long to run. make fun of them in my Mendelssohn's memos days about the sheer number of just garbage movies they put out. That surely they're only putting these out just so they can, you know, boot, have this, you know, look at this giant library. And now that's become the most valuable thing in the industry. So, yeah, you know, good, good me, they're making fun of Rock Dog. Oh, Rock Dog. <laughs> uh, is there anything of note coming out next week? Or I guess Lisa the next... Frankenstein. Lisa Frankenstein. Do we? Do it, does anyone have any guess what that's going to do? Six, five, six million. Yeah, over Seven ten hands. would be thrilling, which is a shame because I think in a better time and a more, you know, and again, I don't want to. I'm always loath to blame the marketing because they're usually shoot the messenger type situations. But I, in a world where this was aggressively pitched, at least on a level of like warm bodies or something, I think it could have been a solid mainstream hit. Focus Features oh. is really good at marketing indie films. They're actually mm-hmm. very adept at marketing to various demographics, like teens for Asteroid City and uh, over 45 for The Holdovers. Sure. Post-COVID, they have not shown a lot of shops at marketing their mainstream stuff. They just It's almost like they're trying not to just mimic what Universal does, with, and then they end up just not doing anything for the movies. That I kind agree. Of need Even something push. like Atomic Blonde, which I think of all this was sort of shocked. Wait, wait a minute, that's not a Universal? That's Focus? Okay, whatever. And I don't want to say, again, I don't want to blame the marketing for the movie only did a hundred million in summer of 2017, but I have to imagine there was an alternate universe where that was sold as an old school universal event film and probably cleared a hundred million just domestic. The next couple of weeks look real bleak then because we got yeah. the Lisa Frankenstein, not because I'm with you guys. I don't think it's going to do much. And then, and then you got the midweek. Marty's tracking of- well. Shocking. Yeah, Marley's tracking pretty well. Which is, I uh, thank God because, yeah. because, because Madam Webb is not. So yeah, like, well, I think know, they're both tracking about identically, just a matter of expectations. The last I saw, it was going a bit. Yeah, yeah. Marley's looking to, to take the the win the next weekend. After that, you've got Ordinary Nothing. Angels and Driveway Dolls. And I think Ordinary Angels might make more than we think it's going to make. Because that's yes. one of those like faith-based things. Driveway Dolls, it pains me to say, probably won't. Yeah, so Hill Caesar that, bombed the 2016 in better times. This is good. We thought January was bad. Like, holy crap. Like, this is going to be really bad. You know, well, yeah. like that. The Ordinary Angels has one other advantage on its side. The Reacher fans. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, Alan <laughs> fans are coming out. <laughs> I, look, I think Alan Richson genuinely is like poised to potentially be one of those like Glenn Powell type, like maybe meet and seats type stars. He's and got some more chops than Henry Cable. I'll say that for him. The, the sheer goofiness of him being in a rom-com would sell a ticket by itself. Um, uh, but I, mean, cop- but- I mean, we're talking about doing better than we think, you know, maybe it'll open to 10 instead of five kind of situation. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Which is like, well, and you know, when you look at the 2024 slate, there are plenty of franchise films that would be great successes at 400 million without the surefire animated films and without the surefire comic book films and without any kind of miraculous Barbie up gun, yada, yada, yada miracle. That's when theaters are in in a world of trouble. There's only one movie you can point at through the whole 2024. So I think you can say that's definitely going to make a billion and that's despicable me for. Yes. I mean, like, in and of themselves, these movies don't need to hit a billion to yeah. be successful, but the theaters kind of do. Yeah. They need, they need, they need the billion dollar hit probably more than most of these movies need on an individual basis. Yeah. yeah. There's yeah, just not, I- there's just not enough quantity of these 600, 800 million dollar hits to to for them to be successful on their own without a a few billion dollar ones being the big yeah. ten plus for the industry. 
I think Despicable Me is for sure, but yeah, I I think that will be both the biggest grossing film of 2024 and the most streamed movie of 2024. Yeah, probably Netflix. But I also, (laughs) but I also think though Deadpool three because there are going to be less higher profile Marvel films, and I and I do think that Wolverine being in that, as much as some of us might be exhausted by that, like it does increase that movie's potential a lot. And so you look at the other two Deadpool movies made almost an identical, what, 770 or something? Yeah, yeah. yeah. But so, like, I, I I don't have any issue seeing that potentially doing 800 or more. Yeah. You know, I mean, if, if it's good, like, let's assume it's good. Like, let's hope it's good. Then, you know, I think that that movie might do do okay. But, but I think it's 850, 900, but not a billion. I mean, I would, if it does do, like, if it's really good, like, if it's, like, No Way Home good, but, like, the Deadpool version of that, you know, I don't think it does, but I'm saying it's it wouldn't, like, shock me if it somehow gets there, but I don't think it's, I wouldn't bet my money on it. Now that you say that out loud, I realize that's probably what they're trying to make. Well, sure, that's, of course, what they're trying to make, but, like, but, like, but. Yeah, they are. Yeah, it's it's all multiverse. I, 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 my, my not plausible prediction is that it's going to be called Deadpool kills the Marvel universe. And that the whole point is that he's going to be trying to go trim the timelines and all that. And him and Wolverine are on a road trip to go kill a bunch of the old Marvel stars. Deadpool kills the Fox Marvel universe. Right. I'm not sure, but I'm, so I'm not saying that's exactly what they're going to call it, but I think that that might actually be the, 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 the gimmick there is that they're going to go kill a bunch of uh, trim, a bunch of uh, uh, branches on the timeline i think is the the phrasing they're using but um here's my big question about deadpool 3 for you three um to promote deadpool 3 do we think director sean levy gets to go visit the criterion closet because i cannot imagine a more cursed scenario than the director of the internship being like (laughs) i love drive my car (laughs) this influence monsters university for children I am not gonna sit here. I, I as as I, I I know some of you aren't as familiar with my uh, take. Uh, I value movies as entertainment over art, and I make no bones about that. So I like Mr. Sean Levy, and uh, and I will uh, I, I, I would welcome his Criterion Closet visit. I don't I don't want him in the Criterion Closet, but I want him and Ryan Reynolds in the Rexham DVD rental store. I don't know if you guys see the Rexham. But that video rental store, I want to see the two of them doing a Criterion Closet thing at that shop. Uh, you know what? I wouldn't be surprised. It, now that I'm thinking about it, it almost makes me roll my eyes. I can see like Deadpool in costume in the Criterion Closet. Like I could almost see, that. see that. Oh, yeah. Uh, I, I could see that happening. Yeah, I, 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 I have little doubt that, that Deadpool 3 will be successful in terms of you know making lots of money for theaters. But, you know, again, I. I... Quantity. Is it, are there enough of those kinds of hits? Just well. A, is the superhero franchise as a whole in any kind of real rut? And B, the are the people that are excited about Hugh Jackman coming back to Wolverine any different from the people that would already be excited for a Deadpool 3? Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I because I'm looking at like some of these presumed hit like greenlit hits like Ghostbusters Frozen Empire. No. You know, like I yeah, I don't know. Like, you know, I don't know where that's going to go. But then I also think you might have enough stuff that like surprises to make up for it. Like if Monkey Man can do John Wick two numbers, like, you know, like I don't like, you know, that there might be some stuff to make up the difference there. If if stuff we're not thinking about, that's my hope. That's I mean, my optimistic. I, I don't hope. think it's quite as itchy. So I certainly don't think it's going to break out like that. But the Abigail trailer very much impressed me mm. in you know, early April. I was like, oh, that's not Megan, but that's the kind of 
oh, what a neat little horror concept. I that is interesting. I will see. Yeah, that. and that could which I did not get for Nightpool or Nightswing, yeah. whatever it's called. Or, can, or even like like Civil War, like with A24 trying to I have I yeah. genuinely like I'm not the best prognosticator in the world. That's the one movie this year where I'm like, I literally don't have no. any idea what that movie's gonna make. Like no, I none. I have no idea. And like, but if the good version of it, like if it does well, like that could be something that helps. Like, you know, I we've probably gotten way off topic here. I apologize, but like that's you this know, entire that's, podcast has been off topic. We haven't even gotten to like migration yet but that's fine that's what we're <laughs> if i may backtrack just for one second just no. in terms of like movies that um like the sparseness of january february you know what movie that's completed that wasn't released in this time period that really bugs me is the toxic avenger that dropped at fantastic fest five months ago got like solid reviews they weren't like a rapturous but they were like fine for a b movie that's a perfect mlk weekend movie like that's a perfect like mid-February thing you drop that's like R-rated and kind of grimy. Like you don't put that in May because that's too much competition. Yeah. Where, where is it? <laughs> like it's been yeah, five but, months. Like, but is that has that secured distribution for sure? Is well, that... it's a legendary picture, so it should go through the Sony deal. Like they haven't announced that it's going to get sold to Netflix. Frankly, if the Book of Clarence and uh, Brothers, the other Peter Dinklage movie, are going to theaters, I can't imagine uh, a movie with a big brand name like that isn't. So I don't know where it's going, when it's going out. It's like it's gotten lost in the stream. Yeah, my my only concern as someone who thinks that movie should go to theaters probably is that like it. I wonder if a streaming deal is not in the cards for that. Where like where like that because like that might be a way for them to get more money for that movie. And I it, like overall, um, I, I'm not sure, but I, yeah. I I would hope. But to your point, if it is going to go to theaters, I completely agree. And I bet you, if we comb this calendar or comb what we know is done, there's probably 20 movies like that that we could that you could probably put Salem's out. Salem's Lot, Salem's Lot, yeah, where the hell is Salem's Lot? <laughs> yeah, I. That's the weirdest. That is, I. That might be the weirdest situation that we have yeah. currently yeah. of a finished movie. Just because, I mean, do I think it's? I mean, again, I wasn't knocked out by the trailer when I saw it in Vegas a couple years ago, but I don't like either of the It movies, so clearly my opinion is irrelevant for these things. Wow. Uh, so, oh. uh, Distant with Anthony Ramos is on a shelf at Universal somewhere. They shot that four years ago. That was like one of the first things they shot after COVID along with... I, I talked to... Yeah, I talked because the same... The guys that uh, ran um, Hitmonkey, uh, they they directed it. And I talked to them a little bit about it, and they, and they were like... Um. Yeah. We'll t- we'll totally. You know. There because. But it's it's weird. Yeah. Where the hell is that movie? But like, the Salem's Lot thing though. That is. I mean. That is genuinely like. Where the hell is that movie? And like, is it? It can't possibly be as bad as the trail of breadcrumbs suggests that maybe it is. Right. Like, there's no way it's that bad. Like, is it that? Or that it's slow. It can't be any worse than the first Annabelle. No. 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 That's. No, and like, that, and that movie made a ton of money. Yeah, like, where the hell is where the hell is Salem's Lot? It, I, mean, I think uh, Scott's right. I think they're trying to save things for the summer. Like they announced like Monkey Man like two months before it came out. I wouldn't be surprised if there's even like some Sony plan of like just Toxic Avenger like Fourth of July is Toxie Day or whatever. Like sure, okay, but like, Salem's Lot they're clearly just holding on to that and they don't know what to do with it. If your if your plan is to dump it anyway, why not dump it in January or February? Like I don't you agreed. know like that. Now I'm just all conspiracy theory about that movie. Again. The par- there's like ten movies at Warner Brothers that we need to go like do a pull of fanboys and go like <laughs> release like Salem's Lot, Turtles all the way down, The Parenting, Coyote versus Acme. Like we gotta go save these movies. Yeah. 
If the, you guys are willing to commit a felony for that, if we could just sidetrack to Lucasfilm and go get the Boba Fett trailer that Josh Trank shot, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I'd be, I, okay. I would, I would be super cool. Like if we could just do both, like that, that, that would be really great. I, I would it, not be participating in any kind of Warner Brothers raid because I'm a coward because I have children. But if anyone does go, <laughs> please pick up a copy of the director's cut of the Avengers from 1998. I would be <laughs> great, Scott. I, I explained the teddy bear meeting scene of the Avengers to a friend of mine the other day, <laughs> and I thought of you. <laughs> um. God, we this has been almost too successful. We've been talking constantly about like two or three movies. Um, any other movie news we want to discuss? Uh, we were, we're talking about how well Amazon MGM has been building up this theatrical strategy over the last year. But there is one guy who very strongly disagrees, Doug Lyman. He <laughs> went and or them a new one in, the, in Deadline, and has been doing that over and over and over on social media ever since with Roadhouse. Yeah. And honestly, I think he's got a point, especially given how he's... They've, they've fallen... Amazon fell under sore kind of theatrically with Air because they really wanted to do business with Damon and Affleck. They've done very solid business with movies like, uh, like Boys in the Boat, and American fiction and beekeeper and which makes it just all the more perplexing why they're bringing the roadhouse re, uh roadhouse remake great to prime when they've got such a clear pattern of what they can do to release a movie theatrically and market it they well, I mean here's what they can easily do you can premiere that movie at South by Southwest and there is a UFC pay-per-view the same weekend as that and they've got all these the guy like Ronda Rousey got Conor McGregor in it you you premiere the movie there you have one of those MMA guys at the at the premiere you have the other MMA people at the UFC event you run the trailer during the broadcast you put a lot of marketing into that UFC event market the hell out of it in UFC programming and you've got your core audience. And it, it, it just seems like a natural fit for a South by Southwest theatrical launch, which just baffles me why they wouldn't do that. It, given that they've done a really good job of being able to identify a film's core audience and then really maximize its reach within that core audience. I, 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 I agree. And I think all things being equal, it should be in theaters. And even as someone that a doesn't think the first Roadhouse is all that great, sorry, team point break, but also thinks the trailer of the new one looks delightful. I agree. On the other hand, like my feeling is that if the fate of theatrical is going to live or die by a Roadhouse remake, then we're already doomed. Well, it's not um, a matter of live or die, but I, I just I, think it's just yeah. like you know, we talk about how you know, any port in the storm for a lot of these movies, and granted. Movie theaters won't be in such deep need when South by Southwest rolls around, but they can use every film they can get. And you know, maybe the maybe I just answered my own question. They just feel like it's not worth putting Roadhouse out in the middle of a crowded March window. Maybe they just think that. Dune yeah, but why does it have to come out in March? Like, I to your point, you could premiere it at you know South by. It doesn't have to be March. Like, it doesn't. Yeah. You know, like, but they but I also think February twenty sixth. What's stopping them? They got money. I, I like that trailer a lot. I think it was fun as hell. Like Jake Gyllenhaal is a legitimate movie star. I think Doug Liman makes very enter like crowd pleasing movies. I, I'm, I, it, it, 
my sources tell me the movie is actually good. So like so the only crazy. explanation that I can think of, and again, this is pure conjecture, is that they think that it's going to somehow play hard at home to the Jack Reacher, Jack Ryan audience in a way that it wouldn't play in theaters to that demographic. Other than that, I'm at a loss. I think Doug Lyman is the only blockbuster director who could do this. Doug Lyman has been such a rebel rouser with studios for like 20 years now. Like he yeah. shot like a born identity scene without the consent of universal executives. Like he and Matt Damon went to a barn and just shot a scene without their permission. Like he's always been like given a middle finger to studio execs. So I think it's kind of cute that he's still doing that with like the biggest company in the world. He's just Doug like Lyman has long been the king of the, oh my God, this movie's over budget and behind schedule and it's chaos in the set. This surely will be a piece of shit. Oh no, wait, this is really good. What the hell? Man. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think, I think the, the funniest story of that whole thing is that him and Jake Gyllenhaal screened that movie for Bezos, supposedly like on his yacht. And they're still like, nah, like, so some, I think it's because it's a brand name. I honestly think it's just that Amazon wants brand names on its service. Like the boys in the boat, if they drop it on the service, it's like no one knows what the hell that is. So it's like, but with a theatrical thing, it can build up momentum over two months. Whereas Roadhouse with Jake Gyllenhaal, that's a thumbnail. Um, and I want to be clear, I'm thinking like a cynical studio executive here sure. of a streaming service. Like that's a Callum Turner on a boat in The Boys in the Boat. That's not a thumbnail. Jake Gyllenhaal in Roadhouse, you know, shirtless, sitting there like about to punch someone. That's, you know, like that's wow. something. From the I'm endorsing like Callum that. Turner slander. Oh. <laughs> I'm, I'm coming after Callum all Turner and Henry Cable in the first episode. I'm just making all kinds of enemies tonight. <laughs> uh, I also think the problem is when you're dealing one with lady. Am <laughs> when Amazon has this much money, they're, they're going to run experiments that piss us off. And part of it is like we put some of these movies in theaters. Okay, let's see what happens when we put one of these expensive ones, you know, just on streaming. And so they're running an experiment and Doug Lyman's on the wrong end of that experiment. And the noise he's making is going to be something that other filmmakers pay attention to in the same way that filmmakers are paying attention to what Apple is doing for filmmakers versus what Netflix is doing for filmmakers right now. And if you're a filmmaker with a choice, it's something that they're going to think about. And where if you sign a contract with MGM or Prime Video in the future and you want a theatrical release, you're going to make sure that's negotiated in the contract. Yeah. Because because they know that they could do this now. And so, like, it's going to have an impact on some level, like, you know, because it's not a, it's not some small secret thing now. It's like, you know, Doug Lyman, as I understand it, believed it was going to go to theaters and it is not. And it will. So Lisa, any new news you want to bring up? What happened this week? I the, the I, we don't have to uh, 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 go to uh, pour one out for Mr. Carl Weathers, yeah. uh, uh, who uh, recently passed. Um, I mean, what, what can what 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 can be said about uh, a man whose career went that long across comedy, across uh, several different franchises? I mean, hell of a career. If the goalposts are anywhere, it's to live to seventy six and be that awesome and relevant at 76 years old so i don't know my first favorite movie was rocky four when i was five going on six so i think by default as silly as this is going to sound he was probably the first my first example of quote-unquote cinematic black excellence on screen hmm. he is the most jacked a person has ever looked i watched all the rocky yeah. movies a year and a half ago with my buddy in rocky four 
like when Apollo comes out, it is like scary. I, I like, do wonder if that was a deliberate choice on his and Stallone's part. It's a because he he looks great in all of the movies, but he looks exceptionally ripped in Rocky Four, which is yeah. supposed to dial up the shock when Drago kills him. Yeah. Uh, someone what did somebody compare it to on Twitter the other day? Like it's like a it's like a hamburger, like it's like an Amer it's like such a piece of Americana, like Rocky Four is like a hamburger on screen. The uh, best movie musical of the eighties. <laughs> hey Xanadu, watch your mouth. Yeah, um, yeah but uh I, I mean not to get to business or whatever, but like there are two Mandalorian universe movies that are happening, one of which being the Mandalorian and Grogu and the other being Dave Filoni's movie. You got to imagine Grief Cargo was going to be a big part of both of those movies. I, I wonder I wonder what's going to happen. I, I think they can't possibly recast that role, right? No, I mean, in my feeling, and, and again, this is obviously small potatoes in the broad scheme of things, but he was one of my favorite directors on that show. Yeah? Um. He consistently put out my favorite episodes of season two and three, respectively. Um, you know, there's no, when it comes to handling show, but. when it comes to handling real life death in plot, for me, the gold standard is Star Trek Beyond with how they handled Leonard Nimoy's death and wrote it. They use that as a springboard to have this yes. really incredible subplot with Zachary Kinto Spock discovering this ambassador Spock has died and that leads him to reflect on his own mortality like what am i going to do with my life and it was i thought it was an incredibly thoughtful and really moving tribute to the character to have that sort of plot line and thinking about mandalorian which i admit i saw i only saw the first season and little bits and pieces of season two of mandalorian but in terms of writing out his character you can easily kill him off off screen he this whole saga is set in the backwoods of the galaxy where lawlessness and death happen all the time so he it could easily like happen like that um like i i i think part of the reason why it, it works when it does work is because it's it's a it's a story about this guy who's built up this huge shell around him to deal with this unforgiving world and then what happens to break through that shell? Yeah, for sure. I, 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 cause I think you're, you're right. Cause in season three, something happens with grief Karga that makes him a little more important than he even was before. Uh, and so like, but I, but, but that also could add to the weight of, um, cause I, I believe in John Favreau as a writer more than anything, I guess. And so I think that like, if anyone's going to be able to be, you know, pay respect to, to that but i hope they sure. they use five minutes of deleted footage and awkwardly insert it into various points of the movie having him repeat the same handful of lines in different ways over and over again yeah yeah and yeah. all those lines are from arrested development <laughs> mando it's you've a, got a stew going a baby yeah yeah now we got yeah. a stew going <laughs> we, yeah. we all want to get a grief cargo saying you've got a stew going what's a grief cargo talking about how good burger king is <laughs> it's a no, wonder what I think of Carl Weather is actually the, the movie I think of is actually Rocky Three, and uh, the whole plot of him getting Rocky back up on his feet, training him, and then, of course, that incredible ending where they just go one more time for no one but themselves. And I just think it's so fascinating how you know, now looking back and now that there is 
a Creed franchise with three films. And yes, you know, that so much of that, so much credit to that is to Michael B. Jordan, to Stallone's incredible performance in the two years, in the two movies that he came back. But it's all built on that rock solid performance. Yeah. No matter how you feel about Rocky's two, three, and four, his performances in those movies is unimpeachable. Like you can believe in Rocky too, why he wants to fight Rocky again, even though he won, like how that eats at him. Everything he does is just so emotionally resonant through and through, and that it has such a huge legacy that 30 years later, you can make a spinoff based off of that performance and the memory of that character, like the impact of this larger than life guy on so many people just building a movie off of that and then making another movie off of that and another movie off of that. that and I've seen pictures of Weathers on the red carpet for Freed films with Michael B. Jordan. And it's like, damn, wouldn't it, be, wouldn't it have been amazing? Like, you almost wish Paul Creed was alive so you could talk with Donnie. It, 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 yeah, the, the best, maybe the best legacy sequel ever made only exists because of Carl Weathers and Two of the best Rocky movies only exist, like, and and like, even though he's not in them, like Creed and Creed Two. Yeah, also, for... Jackson is a lot of fun. Hell yeah, it is. <laughs> and um, I like, I, the one time you see him in the Creed movies is that moment in the final fight when Donnie hits the mat. The audio cuts out, and just for two seconds you see him, and then Donnie gets off the mat. But just seeing him for just those two seconds, it's like, oh shit! It, 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 it like it, it feels like seeing a ghost. Yeah, he might as well be saying, "Get up, son!" When you see him. Oh yeah. It's oh yeah. Yeah, it's uh, but yeah, that's that's I think the big thing that's hit a lot of people this week, you know. But what? A, but you know, as I always try to say, uh, when someone lives a good long life, that's where the goalposts are. Um. I think that's about it for now, just because we've been talking for a while and there are other things I'd rather save for another episode. Um, to all of those who listened to this first episode, in theory, thank you. Um, we'll be back hopefully next week, same bat time, same bat channel, give or take, to see whether or not Lisa Frankenstein performed like a warm bodies or like uh, my boyfriend's back. Um... Yeah. Well, thank you all of you for joining me. This was delightfully fun and much easier than I was expecting. To those who want to read and follow your work, where can you be found, Ryan? Uh, you can find me at Ryan Scott Writes uh, and every social channel. I'm most active on Twitter, but uh, please come find me if you like. Uh, my writing is on SlashFilm.com every single day of the week, Fangoria.com most days of the week. Uh, specifically, if you are into box office, every Saturday I publish an edition of my column called Tales from the Box Office, where I look at something that is either relevant uh, to the week or an anniversary. Uh, this most recent edition was for the 30th anniversary of Ace Ventura Pet Detective. Uh, and the oh start my God, of I'm old. Yeah, and the start of Jim Carrey's most one of the most ridiculously successful runs at the box office for any actor in history. Uh, so yeah, check me out there. Lisa. Hi, um, please come check me out uh, on Collider.com. Uh, this week I'll have pieces on a whole slew of things, including the, the casting for the abandoned Akira film. Uh, 
We could have had Garrett Hedlund and Akira. Um, but also find my work on Looper. Uh, I've also got a smattering of pieces on Fangoria and Scarletine. And I'd also just like to use my little self-promotion quarter to also urge you to please see the Teacher's Lounge if it is playing at a art house theater near you. It is one of 2023's best movies. It's up for an Oscar. If it's in your area, please see it on the big screen. It's awesome. Mr. Jeremy. And I do not tweet much these days because I am yes, very disgruntled with Twitter. It is morally acceptable to dead name companies. Uh, but I will, uh, but you can find my, my posts on my stuff at Twitter. Jeremy Fooster is my tag. Uh, I write for the rap mostly for our paywalled rap pro section. If you can lend your support with a subscription, it would be much appreciated at a time of massive media layoffs. Uh, this week, I will be writing up a big preview about what is ahead for Hollywood labor. There are multiple unions to have their contracts up, and there is a the possibility that they might go on strike, even though the vast majority of people working in Hollywood cannot financially afford to go on another strike. So it is a question of how much can these unions gain for their members with that threat, with that financial strain looming over them? I'll be exploring that on our Rap Pro section at therap.com. Please be prepared to talk about that article in depth next week. Thank you. I will. <laughs> oh, and I forgot to bring it up this weekend, but I'd like to eventually discuss uh, Lisa's The Return of Sex and Cinema piece, because, yay. Ooh. Thank you for bringing that up. Three cheers for Furious Jumping. <laughs> Indubitably. Christopher Nolan be the one to bring sexy back? <laughs> it's a, It's been a weird few years, guys. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm on. I'm at Uck on a weekly basis of the Sunday version of the One I'm Hearing newsletter. And then, obviously, if you're listening to this, you probably are aware of the Substack, the Outside Scoop. Please subscribe. Please paid subscribe so I can eventually afford to steal all these people away from myself. Ah, uh, he says half kiddingly. Um, other than that, thank you very much for listening. Uh, I hope you'll come back for more because this was a lot of fun. Take care. Julie.